in thinking about regulation, it's, it's like there's a core question here of who gets to decide what a business can sell to a consumer. Hey everybody, Andrew Smallwood here, uh, Chief Customer Officer at Second Nature and host of the Triple Win Pod. I am joined uh, by my friend and colleague, CEO and founder of Second Nature, Thad Tarkington. And hey, we just wanted to jump on, it's it's a Friday, we're recording this uh, and chat for a few minutes about a hot topic in the industry, which is junk fees. And I do want to preface this with, uh, Thad and I are not licensed attorneys. We've probably watched a few episodes of Law & Order. We're probably not even bartenders, you know, all that to be said, what we are is passionate participants in this industry. And we do care about the things that are happening that may be a little outside of our control, maybe to some degree within our influence, certainly things we want to be aware of so that we can put our business or clients' businesses in the best position to succeed uh, and help, help their customers have great experiences. And so... That's the place this is coming from. Uh, we want to have a real conversation, real dialogue here uh, about the way that we're seeing things, and hopefully, it sparks some great conversation uh, beyond this. Is what we what we'd love to see. So, with that in mind, Thad, you know, I don't I don't think there's a codified definition of junk fees. And so, if I were to ask ten people, I might get a few different answers about what is a junk fee, or what one person feels is a junk fee, another person may not feel is a junk fee. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, uh, how you think about it, or, or how others might think about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, if I were to take the kind of blended answer of what I hear is a junk fee, you know, it's generally paying a fee for something that has no value. You know, it's not really driving any specific incentive. You know, there's nothing in return. And, and I would further say that it's something that wasn't transparently stated, you know, as a, res as a responsibility. So, this is a fee, you know, I'm living in a rental property. I had no idea if I did certain action, I'd be required to pay that fee. So, so again, not transparent upfront and I have to pay that fee and I'm really getting nothing in return. Um, and so, you know, if, if you look at too, you know, the White House, they put out a letter talking about some, some different kind of key points of, you know, he, here's some renters kind of uh, rights that are important. Um, they highlighted a number of of different fees. And again, I wouldn't say all these, you know, are, you know, maybe even classes jump fees, but certain fees they just thought were, you know, unfair to the resident. And, um, you know, we'll talk about a few of those, but, uh, you know, like, like any regulation, it often starts from a good place. And you can look at some of these and say, yeah, you know, there's certain situations. If I was that resident, you know, that would be a tough situation. Uh, it doesn't mean it's, it's a wrong situation, it just means, you know, it'd be tough. And I think, one of the, the easy ones they point out is, you know, on the screening side, you know, if you take kind of the edge case um, or kind of the extreme end of that, there's definitely people who applied to multiple properties and, you know, may not have the best uh, factors that are considered for renting in terms of credit score, income, you know, cr criminal history, things like that. And so they're having a tough time getting a property. They might end up applying to multiple places and, you know, they start to rack up these application fees, right? Mm. You know, and I, I think the flip side of that, you know, what, what we hear from a lot of folks is, you know, ultimately the job of, you know, property manager is to place the best resident that's going to take the best care of the property, you know, you know, drive the best performance. And I think, you know, I definitely believe in a performance kind of culture and, you know, incentivizing good behavior. And so ultimately, you know, at, at the end of the day, if, if you have a bad history, evictions, you know, and things like that, you know, 
why, why would somebody want you in their property? Um, but, you know, at the same time, you can understand, hey, people, you know, at some point, you know, they, you know, they need a second chance. And and that's, I think, really the, the deeper conversation here. So something like that, you know, not not an easy answer. You know, I, I would say there's definitely, you know, at the end of the day, this is a contract between two parties that they're, you know, kind of willingly joining into. So anything that's transparent, you know, up front, you know, that they're, you know, shouldn't be an issue with, but there is some conversation around, okay, how do we, you know, streamline the application process? Um, and, and I think for something like that, it's important that people get really involved, you know, because there could be unintended consequences where it limits innovation and screening, you know, often you hear about the term regulatory capture, you know, regulation comes in and it kind of benefits an incumbent. It stalls innovation because there's, hey, there's nothing to improve here. We're told this is the exact way to do it. Um, and I think there's a lot of innovative stuff coming to screening and, um, you know, that would be a negative. Uh, on the more ridiculous side, you know, you hear things, there's articles out there where, I, you know, you see things like a January fee and, you know, get on the service. It sounds ridiculous. You know, what is a January fee? Not having more context. I can't comment on that specifically. But but again, I would say like if there's something relevant, you know, maybe there's a market, maybe you know, there's some some activity that happens in January and you know, it might have been listed up front, right? So if it's transparent, hey, there's a cost to do X, you know, and, and people are aware of it, you know, there shouldn't be an issue with that. You know, and, and there's a real chance that there is a relative value for this and somebody mistyped the name of it in their, you know, accounting system, and that's what it got put, right? So it's it's hard to know exactly, but Again, it's you know good clickbait for an article, um, and I think we'd all be you know pretty bummed if we were in a property, no heads up, and you're like, hey, you're paying a fee because it's January, right? So um, again, I think a lot of you know legitimacy to to some of the questions here, um, obviously really deep. But Andrew, anything from from your point of view on you know key points to consider here in in the you know whether it's junk fees or this this uh, White House letter? You know. I I like what you shared there. I, I feel like there's a couple dimensions of this, which is, you know, in thinking about regulation, it's, it's like there's a core question here of who gets to decide what a business can sell to a consumer, right? I think there's good arguments for, okay, there's there's certain types of products, financial products, et cetera, where for consumer protection reasons and even the business's own protection, Hey, maybe there's certain licensing requirements or other things like that to to ensure there's a healthy market there that there's some reasonable considerations there's other things where hey maybe it it doesn't make sense for regulation to come in and it's just a voluntary exchange right uh between two consenting adults and and the market's able to work that out just fine you know i think about the other dimension here of who determines what price the goods can be sold for Right. Um, and that's a lot of the tension here of, hey, what's government's role in this versus what can businesses and consumers, you know, figure out out between them? And then I think the other piece is who gets to decide, you know, and this is, I guess, tied to price, but, you know, what what's valuable or what's not and what needs intervention, consumer protections, as opposed to, uh, again, let it, letting the market kind of sort that out. And I, I think it's always interesting and sensitive with housing because it, it, you know, people need shelter. It's like a fundamental human human need, right? And there's always been kind of that that tension, I would say, you know, be between landlord and tenant uh, historically. And thinking about just how do we make these decisions? How do we do it in a way that's making things better for 
you know, consumers, property owners, property managers, obviously how, how we think about things. And I think it's important to say, you know, that there's, there's no shame in making money in property management is something like we, we think about. It's like the, the shame, it's almost a shame not to make money in property management and aligning that value to making a difference for customers, right? Like there's no shame in making money as long as that money is put to good use. And I'm not sure I would define what good uses specifically people will come up with their own, own answers there but you know i think that's where a lot of the tension and hot hot buttons are around this issue so those those kind of questions um it, it gets yeah. me thinking that like when you think about like other industries and how that might relate to what's going on here you know like does anything come to mind or yeah are there any examples you think of yeah i mean so so one i i definitely believe in a free market i think you know, there there are always pros and cons to anything. There's no perfect system, but ultimately, you know, a free market drives innovation. And you know, to go a different route than maybe talking about you know rent control and some of the you know pros and cons of that. If you look in Canada, there's recently a bill passed saying social media has to pay for news. And I think the intention was, hey, we've got these news organizations; they're putting out you know quality content, and you know, ultimately, they're not getting properly compensated for that, but that's what's really driving, you know, viewership. So it was almost this kind of, hey, social media is getting getting the money and news orgs are doing the work. And so it's funny, that got passed and they just said, okay, we'll not allow these news channels to to show their product, right? And, you know, not not sure exactly where it's settled yet, but the immediate thing uh was these news organizations like, hold on, wait, like that's a big piece of distribution. That's where we get viewership. And it seems just to backfire significantly, right? They effectively just got cut out. And yeah, I think there's a question of like, you know, why do people go to social media? You know, maybe they read some of the news and they definitely find it there. Uh, but social media has turned, you know, everyone into a journalist to, to some extent. And there's plenty of people who've ground up built uh content and media businesses on social that are can that are thriving in that space. And so I think it's, a, it's an example of, you know, in a vacuum, people are looking at going, well, we think this is valuable. It's not fair. You know, let's regulate it. And instead, it just, you know, cut off access. And so, again, we'll see where that lands. And, and uh, but, you know, if, if I look at, you know, an industry, I think we're, we're all familiar with uh, airlines. Um, I was talking with Peter Lohman about this. And after the conversation, I actually went up and, uh, and looked some things up to get better data on this. But we were talking about, you know, if, if you look at an industry and say, okay, you know, how do you really drive the most value? Um, and ultimately, it's you know offering different levels of products and service, and it's being able to monetize you know s- certain segments. Um, and there's premium offerings that can really drive you know high revenue. And so you look at an airline. The interesting stat uh, we, we checked out is 12% of customers are over 60% of the revenue. So it's 12% of customers, 60% of the revenue. And if you look at an airline, um, you know, m- most major airlines are public, you know, their profit margins are sub 10%, I think around, you know, five to 8%. And, and keep in mind, like airlines are doing really well right now, right? You know, and so, you know, in a slower market that, that may change. I'm, I'm not an expert in, in the airline fundamentals, but, you know, ultimately in a good market, you know, they're not eclipsing 10% in, in, um, in profit. So if you had to say, okay, if 12% of customers are spending 60% of the money and they're only making a 10% profit margin, if, if you actually take the total cost to operate and said, okay, we're going to spread that equally across everybody, you know, it'd probably price a lot of people out, out, out of flying and, and really change the economics. And so, yeah, I think there's plenty of people who are happy to say, I'm going to bring a book bag and pay 50 bucks for this flight on Frontier. 
and uh, sit in the back corner, you know. And on the flip side, you know, you've got people saying, look, I'm happy to pay $2,000 to get a little extra leg room and, uh, you know, a free drink, right? What, what that tells me is if you look at, you know, the free market, ultimately it said, you know, these companies, it's about innovation. How do you create value? How do you create product offerings that people want to pay for? And then it actually, you know, lowers the costs. Um you know, myself, I'm typically an economy flyer. And, you know, I, I love that, uh, you know, people in the front are paying half my, my seat fare. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, that that's a, that's a key piece to kind of look at. Now, you know, th- talking about fees, obviously, you know, airlines, people always complain, you know, bag fee, this and that, you know, back to, to you know, square one. Hey, if you took away bag revenue. I don't, I don't know what that is off the top of my head. But if you took all these things away, like the money has to come from somewhere. And so, you know, what do you think is fair that everybody just has to equally distribute? Or is it the person who brought three bags pays for the bags and the person who didn't bring a bag doesn't pay, right? So I think, you know, really it's about how do you get that like choice, you know, that flexibility. And, you know, so I think as we look at the property management industry, a key thing that, you know, Second Nature is really designing for is how do you design products that have drive accountability to key resident responsibilities? At the end of the day, you're living in a home, you know, and it's an, it's an expensive thing to maintain. It's your basic expense. And the way that you operate in that home has a big impact to, you know, um, ultimately the expense of running it, right? So how do you set up things that drive accountability, really drive the lowest costs, incentivize the lowest costs, you know, and, and then also maybe offer some premium offerings where you can drive revenue and monetization that actually lowers costs for everyone. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, if, if you look at um, a lot of regulation that comes out, it ends up, you know, um, you know, ultimately there's some negative effects to the people to try to help. And so I think one key piece um, is, is we're looking at, you know, this space, Andrew, a- anything that, well, anything you want to add to that or anything you'd say like that people can do to really uh, get involved here, or, um, you know, what which people think about or prepare for. Yeah, I, I well, A, I, I love the airline example that, you know, I think that's a good just analogy to think about and share in the idea of like, hey, if, fees were capped for a you know a first class flight maybe there's a small percentage of consumers who who like that but then suddenly there's a large percentage of consumers that that impacts in, in that maybe unintended way or the business has to solve for it somehow and so it really gets to i like what you said about choice flexibility and bring that personalization of you know the value prop and ultimately the product to really meet the needs of of consumers and how that ultimately maximizes value across the whole um, to kind of create the best situation for everybody. So nothing to add there, but just like, you know, like what you shared there. I think, um, you know, as far as what people might do from here, I I think we want to keep the conversation going. Um, I know NARPM has organized a capital summit uh, in February and our VP of legal and compliance, Kim Godsey, will be there. We'll have other second nature representatives there as well. Uh, we'll be meeting, you know, with legislators. The the NARPM PAC is a great organization. We're also involved with the NRHC, which does a lot of advocacy and education. And I, I think I think it's one where there was a, a quote I'm forgetting, so it won't be pithy or anything like that. I'll paraphrase, but you know, it's really the people who show up, you know, that get that get to rule, if you will. And so, hey, if the only people expressing their voices, right, and the only side of a story is is one or another, then we can probably expect there to be unintended consequences, right? And so how do we work together to make sure all perspectives are contributed here and we're trying to make the best decisions together that we can uh, to move the industry forward? And I think it's important uh, that we do that. It's important that 
we pay attention and we're aware of anything that could be uh, impacting the business and responding appropriately. So to that end, uh, NARPM Capital Summit, sh shout out coming uh, in February. Thanks to Keith Becker and Matt Tringali organizing what looks like a really great event. Love the direction they're taking this. Excited to support. Um, and hey, we could continue the conversation in the Triple Win Property Manager Facebook group or shoot us an email. We we'd love to hear what you thought here as we're getting the conversation started. Any uh, any final words, Dad, on your end? No, I love what you said there. You know, uh, get involved and, uh, you know, let's shape the future. So, All right. Hey, everybody, that's it for this uh, episode of the Triple Win Podcast. Thanks for listening to us wherever you listen to great podcasts. And we will catch you at our next event or social posts or newsletter or wherever we see you next. Take care. And that wraps up another episode of the Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you for pressing play. We hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration. The Triple Win Property Management Podcast is proudly produced and distributed by Second Nature, where we believe in a triple win, building winning experiences for your residents, investors, and your teams with the only fully managed resident benefits package. Visit secondnature.com to learn more and talk to an RVP expert in your area. If you have any questions, comments, or want to weigh in on the conversation, we'd love to hear from you. Email triplewin at secondnature.com. That's triplewin at secondnature.com. Stay connected with us beyond the podcast. Visit our website at secondnature.com to stay updated with upcoming property management events and articles. And don't forget, you can keep the conversation going in the Triple Win Property Management Facebook group. It's exclusively for property managers. To receive even more valuable insights and updates, subscribe to our newsletter. You can find the link to that and much more in the show notes. On behalf of the Triple Win community, this is Laura Mack thanking you for tuning in. And on behalf of Second Nature, this is Carol Housel. Check back soon for another exciting episode. Until then, keep striving for that triple win.